what do you think about when we get to that part of the service every Sunday when we exchange the peace with one another? What goes through your mind in that moment? Every week, after we say the confession and hear the assurance of God's pardon, and before we approach the communion rail, we stop to give one another a sign of God's peace. What's in your heart when that happens? Do you think of it as a way to hug your friends, your family, maybe extending that love a little wider to those who might not quite be as close to you? Maybe you think about it as a way to catch up with someone you haven't seen after a few weeks or perhaps to greet a newcomer and welcome them into this fellowship. Maybe it's just a half-time intermission to stretch your legs before we kneel all the way through communion. I don't know what it is to you, but I'm curious. What's, what's going on in you when we get to that part of the service? I hesitate to say it because I don't want us to overthink what is already a beautiful practice among us, but you might have noticed if you've ever come to any of the other services that the way we do the peace at each of our three Sunday morning services is pretty different. The 7.30 service is a lot smaller than this and everyone knows everyone. That congregation is here with remarkable regularity. And so when it's time to exchange the peace, people go all the way up and down the aisle, almost refusing to let anyone escape the exchange of the peace. Because I think that congregation has a real sense of joy, the joy of seeing familiar folks and welcoming those who might have wondered that way on occasion. This service has a different feel, doesn't it? And the peace lasts even longer but I think largely it's because our choir is made up mostly of children and youth who rightly want to go and find their families and exchange the peace with them. And the rest of us, we're happy to linger with them in that moment a little longer to share that warmth with one another. But maybe you've noticed what I've noticed, which is the last ones to take their seat are almost always the choir. They kind of set the rhythm for us when we share the peace. If you come to the 11 o'clock service, it's very different, isn't it? It's quick. <laughs> it's not that they're not warm and friendly, but they do that work right around them, right? The 11 o'clock congregation, they turn to the left and to the right, maybe to who's in front and behind. If they catch the eye of someone across the aisle, they'll wave. We're not crossing the aisle all that much, but we'll wave, right? You also have noticed, I'm sure, that the clergy like to walk down the chancel steps and wander out into the congregation to share the peace. But woe to the priest who goes too far down the aisle at 11 o'clock because you, before you know it, everybody is seated and the announcements have stopped and you're trapped at the back of the church, right? <laughs> we all share the peace. Most of us share the peace. Have you noticed ever someone who just refuses to do it? Maybe they're profound introverts. Maybe they're new to our fellowship and don't know what in the world is going on. I don't know that it's the case in this congregation, but in a lot of Episcopal churches, there are still holdouts who prefer the 1928 version of things. And you might remember that the 28 prayer book doesn't have the peace, that newfangled liturgical innovation. And those are the ones who, those are the ones who stare straight ahead hoping that you will notice that they don't want to shake your hand, <laughs> waiting for this all to pass, right? 
don't tell them this. But actually, in the 28 prayer book, there is the evidence of the peace. Because the peace isn't new at all. It's ancient. As early as the 4th century in the Apostolic Constitution, the, one of the earliest documents where the leaders of the church explained how worship is supposed to happen, even there that long ago already, bishops were saying to the leaders of the church that the kiss of peace must go from those at the altar all the way through the congregation. And in that 28 prayer book, I brought mine with me today, in that 28 prayer book, there's evidence of that. It's some cumbersome language, perhaps. But I think it says beautifully why it is we're supposed to be doing the peace. The exhortation is where we find it. Not in the liturgy, but the warning that the liturgy is going to happen. Back, back then, we might only have communion once a month or so. And so if we're going to have communion next Sunday, I'm going to read this to you to make sure you spend this week getting ready to break bread together. And part of the work of getting ready to break bread is this. If ye shall perceive your offenses to be such as are not only against God, but also against your neighbors, then ye shall reconcile yourselves unto them, being ready to make restitution and satisfaction according to the uttermost of your powers. For all injuries and wrongs done to you by any other, and being likewise ready to forgive others, who have offended you. In today's gospel lesson, Jesus says it in his own words. If you come to offer your gift and there remember that your sister or brother has something against you, leave your gift there and go. First, be reconciled to your sister or brother and then come and offer your gift. The work we have to do before we can draw near to God is to draw near to one another, to seek the reconciliation among ourselves that is true when we are in God's presence. When we share the peace, it's a ritualized version of that thing, that seeking out of one another to make sure that those wrongs we have done or that have been done unto us might be cleared. Jesus, with these words, tells us it's our job to seek that out before we can seek the presence of God. So when we exchange that peace, maybe we're supposed to go and find that person that hurt our feelings this week. But I think more than that, we're supposed to remember that when we hug those closest to us, when we greet others around us, what we're really doing is representing to one another that we are the reconciled community of the baptized. Because until we know that reconciliation to be true among us, how will we ever know the reconciliation that God gives us? All of it. It all hinges on the power of unconditional love. And you've probably heard me say at least once that the beautiful thing about unconditional love is that it's unconditional, that it has no limits. But the challenge that comes with that unconditional love is that as soon as you place the first restriction, the first limit, the first boundary upon it, all of it crumbles and falls away to nothing. We are drawn into God's presence by God's great love for us. A love that doesn't care who you are or where you've been or what you've done. 
And if we draw near to God on the basis of that love, how can we if we're keeping someone outside of our community? Because when we cut someone else off or when we have caused someone else to cut off, then what we've really done is cut ourselves off, all of us off from the power of that love. Think about it this way. The instruction Jesus gives us is absurd. It took maybe six days to walk from Galilee to Jerusalem. Imagine walking all that way, coming into the temple and remembering that your neighbor up the street has a reason to be angry with you. And Jesus says, leave your offering, walk six days back, make up with your neighbor so that you can then walk six days back again to offer your gift. Really, Jesus? Really, you want us to do that? Yes, Jesus says, I do. Because Jesus knows that we cannot know the power of God's love if we're denying that love with one another. Why do you think Jesus in this gospel lesson equates anger with murder? Why do you think he equates lust and divorce with adultery? It's not because you have to be perfect to get into God's kingdom. It's because Jesus knows if there are broken relationships among us, among our community, then we cannot be the kingdom of God. That work is our work to do. What are those fractured relationships in your life that continue to make it harder for you or for someone else to know God's love? Who are the ones with whom that hurt still exists? What are the pains and the guilts you're having the hardest time putting down? Ask God to help you. Ask God to give you the courage to seek out the one whom you have wronged and the grace to accept the apology of the one who has hurt you, which is to say, let God's love, that powerful and limitless love, fill your life so fully that you find the strength to share that love with everyone. Because until we do, we can't know God's love at all. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.